0: everyone, and welcome to episode 232 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast. Uh, this is probably not the way that we wanted to start the season for the Brewers. They dropped two out of three in Chicago and it was kind of a miserable series to watch and, and not a whole lot of fun after waiting so long to get baseball back. But, you know, maybe there's some silver linings. They did win on Sunday and we're going to talk all about it. And we've got Ryan and Paul here. Uh, Paul, I know you were at the game today. Are you thawed out yet? Or are you still frozen?
1: Um, I'm I'm pretty good now. It was just wind chill. That's the thing. Um Mm -hmm. it was one of those weird days where I'm sure that everybody in the bleachers in the sun is just fried and burned, and um, you know, it was probably 20 degrees warmer, but we were in the shade down the third baseline and just a howling wind directly down um the third baseline, going out of Wrigley today. And it was really cold. I had my kids with me, and I ended up giving one of them my coat as a blanket, so that made it extra cold. Um but uh at least the Brewers did manage to make use of the wind uh, a little bit more yes. than the Cubs did. So at least I that like. happened, and it was a it was a good it was a good fun game today for the most part. A couple weird things. Jake Cousins, a little nerve wracking there for a bit, but so other than that, it was at least a fun one to see. Better than the other two. No so kidding. you
2: didn't go and give them your money like Amy and I did last year uh, when we went in early season game, and I had to go buy her a Cubs fleece blanket for <laughs> I swear to oh, God man. twenty dollars. Oh, $20 I mean so, it was okay. just absolutely insanely well stupid well expensive. well let's
1: just let's break into a quick story on that subject right now. oh boy <laughs> uh, so one I will give the Cubs a lot of credit for this so um, uh, I I have actually not noticed maybe they do this similar part now I know they do it in the third deck um, in the club section in a few other parts of the loge but uh, I think all of Wrigley now except the bleachers has the you can scan a barcode and they'll bring stuff to you uh, set up right. now which is nice and they definitely had it tailored for cold weather um so they had the super expensive hot chocolate on there um (laughs) and and highlighted at the top which is really smart but they also had the blankets you could have them deliver a blanket to you um and ryan was complaining about twenty dollars for the blanket to have a delivered blanket was fifty five dollars oh my god and and people were doing it Uh, yeah yeah the blanket vendors were very very busy and uh the, the rickets cleaned up on blanket sales today let me tell you <laughs> yeah you know
2: what in retrospect i think we may have purchased it at one of the stores uh, we did on um, one of the stores in wrigleyville before even going into the stadium because she knew she was going to be cold and just yep. was like now let's get this taken care of right away so <laughs> we apparently saved our money it could have been so much worse but we still we have this stupid cubs blanket that we were supposed to give to my brother, just who's give a it to Cubs your brother? Fan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, we were supposed Love to, song. and then it never—it it just hasn't happened yet. So, this thing, this stupid thing, is sitting around someplace still, haunting my house.
0: Yeah. How, how many games have the Brewers won against the Cardinal or uh, Cubs since you bought that? Do we need to burn this like we burned the Yachty ball? Yeah, I mean,
2: like the Brewers won like 15 straight against the Cubs last year. So, and this was all early. La- that I bought that thing early last year. Yeah. So, all right.
0: So actually, you know what? Ritual sacrifice, but
2: I think they won that game, and it was their first win against the Cubs that year, and then that was the start of the streak. So, oh, yeah. Okay. So this might be a good luck charm that I have. There we go. Maybe I don't need oh, to boy. give it to my brother.
0: <laughs> yeah, I noticed that on opening day. I saw in the background, you know, the the vendor guys who are normally hawking cotton candy or whatever just had the giant racks of blankets with them, and I was like, oh man, they're they're cleaning up on on that this. With the series and in you know any other April series, I'm sure. But yeah, maybe uh, the the Cubs will pay their entire payroll through blankets like the the Pirates did with the, the <laughs> popcorn, like the the Pittsburgh journalists uncovered. I so. saw
2: that. That was uh, particularly bad. That yes, they have. Yes, uh, it was.
0: Yeah, great timing. Yeah, I think the Pirates will be hearing again from the Union soon, but we'll see. Uh, Well, they're one of the
2: four teams that have an ongoing grievance right now. It's them, the Marlins, the A's, and maybe the Rays. Like, There's four teams that currently are being grieved. Oh, Cleveland, the Guardians. They're definitely one of that group. Yeah,
0: so uh, definitely interesting to see that come out, especially after all of the things that we talked about during the lockout and – you know, all the owners saying how hard it is to to make ends meet. And that was a year that they were actually terrible and they still made profit just on concession sta- sales, which I suppose is not a surprise if any of us have bought any concessions at a baseball game. So. <laughs> all right uh en- enough talking about the the rickets money and the pirates money and all that we've we've got actual games to talk about so i i would be more excited about this if uh the the results had been maybe a little bit different but before we start a reminder as always you can become a patron get question priority and we've got a ton of them after uh this eventful weekend let's just leave it there you can become a patron at patreon.com mke tailgate along with that question priority uh you get it on the Packers reporting as eligible podcast as well. May be useful with the draft coming up. Paul's been busy looking at wide receivers and oh, anybody yeah. who could possibly catch a football from Aaron Rodgers. So <laughs> uh check a lot of that stuff out. Five bucks a month gets you the extra content. That minor league extra podcast with Ryan and James Anderson from Rotowire, as well as Paul's Packers mini pods. All right. So of course we know the Brewers ended up dropping two out of their first three games this year, would have been four, but uh we had that rain out on the second day of the year, kind of pushed everything back this uh weekend, and it didn't seem to help Brandon Woodruff much to get that extra day of rest. Sure did. Uh so I, I guess aside from the cold and windy and in crappy weather, uh you know, we, we've got a lot of factors to talk about here and and I kind of wanted to start with the starting pitching and and the disappointing weekend, I think it's fair to say. So uh, the big three, as we mentioned, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff and Freddie Peralta. Only combined for 12 and two-thirds innings in their first starts of the season. Uh, All three of them kind of looked like they were struggling with their command a bit. Almost like, you know, they could have used that fourth week of spring training or so. Uh, But between the three of them in that 12 and two-thirds innings, they gave up 13 hits, 13 earned runs, 10 walks, and 12 strikeouts. So a lot of runs scored against them. A ton of walks, which actually kind of made it really hard to watch some of these outings uh most of that damage there of course done by brandon woodruff he ended up getting charged with what was it seven runs on saturday by the time uh urania was done throwing the ball all over the park and and all the runs came into score so uh a bulk of that going to brandon woodruff cra he'll be digging out of that for a while but i guess let's uh start with a patreon question right away mark Podscarby has a question on (laughs) probably a lot of people's minds should we be worried about the pitchers seemingly forgetting how to throw strikes (laughs) so i guess paul is it uh should we just you know worry yet or is it you know obviously a lot of the factors cold weather shorter spring yada yada i guess how do you feel about the pitching over the last three days
1: uh i mean it's not great but i I certainly wouldn't worry yet it's a a weird spring training for the pitchers and there is definitely some system shock going from Arizona to Chicago. Um, you know, you can ask the obvious question, well, how, how come the Chicago pitchers weren't similarly impacted? How come it's not a problem for everybody around the league? I think it actually was a problem around the league a little bit, um, not for everybody, but also like Kyle Hendricks is like um old, <laughs> I think. Um, but he's 32. Um, part of this is also just like. Uh, and not a fireballer Um, you know um, you get used to these things when you get older and have more experience too Um, but like it's fine I do think Brandon Woodruff he he is at his best when he is guns blazing all ready to go I do think he is impacted more than a lot of pitchers by having his routine disrupted and by not being uh, ramped up in the proper way I, I think Burns it was not a great start but it wasn't a huge disaster either you could see he was struggling with his command we could see He knew what he wanted to do. He managed to settle himself down a little bit. And uh, the the main thing not to worry about at all is the the small number of innings pitched because no starter at this point in the season was going to be allowed to go far, whether they were dominating or not. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, it's not great that they didn't throw a ton of innings, but they weren't going to throw a ton of innings anyway. Uh, The team is set up right now two piggyback relievers and um you know until people get properly stretched out that's going to be the case so um it, it's baseball it's weird circumstances things happen and it's not that big a deal
2: yeah to your point uh Germán marquez for colorado he was pitching against the dodgers at home and he got pulled after 74 pitches uh seven shutout innings versus the dodgers and they yanked him after that and it was yeah Of course, well, I I guess he did give up one run. So it was seven innings of one-run ball, and then Alex Calme proceeded to come in and blow the lead and kill my fantasy team, so I was very upset about that. But (laughs) anyway, that's not what we're here to discuss. Uh, But yes, that is what we're seeing all over baseball right now is short starts and teams being careful. And that is not just because of the short and spring training, though that's definitely a factor. It's also just been the way that things have been handled in baseball in recent years anyway. It's been very rare to see a pitcher his first time, or even the first couple times through, to even approach 100 uh, pitches. That's just been the way that things have been handled lately. And I wouldn't read really anything into this other than to say it's noteworthy. It's noteworthy that these guys are struggling and that there seem to be some sort of like across-the-board command issues and we can we can kind of bookmark that and probably just dismiss it and forget about it in a month and not even really remember that it hit it happened but you never know with stuff like this pitching is so weird pitching is it's you're working with such fine margins and the the difference like the difference between being really good and really bad can be really small sometimes so we'll keep an eye on it but i wouldn't really worry we we haven't seen enough to really worry about anything yet. I, I think the cold weather affects some of these guys. Remember, these are all guys from warm weather places like Brandon Woodruff is from Mississippi. Corbin Burns is from California. Um, Freddie is from the Dominican Republic. Like they're from warm places. So being in cold, windy Wrigley field is yep. not like being at home for any of them. And that may be true for the Cubs guys. Also, you it's also true for some guys who did just fine this weekend. So
1: yeah, Yeah. you don't want to to, say
2: too much about that, but it's, there's just, there's so many games to go. And this is such a small sample of the season that reading too much into anything is probably going to be a bad idea in general. Yeah. To drive the luck home a little bit too, Nico Horner hit a home run.
1: Like, Yeah. So, you can be be the worst pitching staff in the league and go through the Cubs, and Nico Horner will never hit a home run off of you. It just happens to be one of those things that happened to make a big difference. And, uh, you know, happens sometimes, but Mm -hmm. uh, what are you going to do? Also, we should also mention, uh, you know, when we did our preview, we did mention the Cubs probably aren't going to be as bad as people think. They've they've managed to do Mm -hmm. some smart things, and some of those smart things showed up, like say a Suzuki appears to be quite good which is not surprising we thought he was good but he makes a big difference in that lineup he, he is sort of so at least he has in a small sample size of a few games kind of a star anchor that you have to work around and um they are a much more formidable lineup than they were last year
2: mm-hmm. and like say what you want about patrick wisdom being able to repeat his 28 home run performance last year but the cubs were still batting patrick wisdom either like seventh or eighth in their lineup yeah, and the dude hit yeah, 28 home runs last year so there's something going on here where they have a a more talent than I think a lot of people realize. And so we do need to acknowledge that and sort of accept that as part of the deal here, that the Cubs are probably not a, you know, I guess going into the winter, we probably thought they might be a 90 loss team. They're probably, you know, closer to an 81 and 81 team.
0: Yeah, they did a really good job too. Like we talked about the lineup strength, you know, just driving up the pitch count early in the game, too. You know, all three of those guys had really long first innings. Uh, Freddie got some bad defensive luck on Sunday and and probably shouldn't have even had to get to the point of giving up that three-run homer in the first inning. But, you know... uh, between you know Brandon Woodruff and Corbin too, wasn't Ortega drew a leadoff walk all three games? Like mm-hmm. right away, that the Cubs were making these guys work and and made them throw strikes. So when they didn't have it right away, the pressure's kind of on. So I think that's just kind of an example of maybe the Cubs lineup being a little bit better than we thought it was going to be, and you know these guys just not quite having a feel for their uh, main pitches yet too.
2: Yeah, I think you have other external factors too. One, as you mentioned, the Cubs just generally get good on base guys, guys who will take walks, and this has been a hallmark ever since Theo and Jed got to town. That that's part of what they do. It's very, you know, sort of old school saber 101, but they do it. So it's it's something that's worth noting. Also, we had I think it's fair to say definitely in the first two games, but I think also in the third game. I'd have to go back and look, but pretty tight strike zones. Like I'm not gonna complain about them going one way or another or whatever. It it was fine, but they
0: were pretty pretty, tight both ways. So yeah, it was. They
2: they were fairly tight. So that also plays a factor into this. And just you know, you add in the weather and the wind and all of that. It just it wasn't like great conditions to be playing in, let alone pitching in. So whatever, we will have to just wait and see.
0: (laughs) I do think it's encouraging, though, that basically everybody who had a rough start had an idea basically of what went wrong. You know, like Corbin knew his cutter wasn't quite uh, moving the way he expected or or wanted it to. And he kind of abandoned it mid start. Like Paul mentioned, he made the mid start adjustment and was able to find another pitch that got him through the rest of that outing. You know, Woodruff's start was, was so short. He didn't really have the opportunity to do that, but he seemed to know what the mechanical issue was. So I'm not, terribly concerned with that too and you Mm. know Freddie's start wasn't all that bad either he gave up the three-run home run in the first inning and nothing really after that although that he did work with some walks but as we mentioned in our season preview he is the one that is prone to the walks the most so uh you know, it, it seemed like a pretty vintage Freddie start, even on Sunday, where you you kind of had the first inning uh, kerfuffle and then he settled down. So it, it, I'm not terribly concerned. Obviously, you want to see better results, especially when you have a reigning side Young winner on your staff and in another guy who could be the top of a, a lot of rotations. But you know, there there were some rocky pitching outings from from star pitchers across the league too. So it's it's not like the the Brewers are. Frauds or or anything like that. It's you know, one set of bad starts, and I, I kind of want to see them, uh, you know, obviously face the Orioles. That'll be a big help. But then when they get home too, how they do there as well. Uh, let's move on. We've got another thing, major thing to talk about this weekend, of course, Wilson Contreras. I, uh, you know, <laughs> the gift
2: that keeps on giving, James. He just keeps yeah. on giving. It's just
0: too damn early in the season for me to want to talk about this. But, hey, uh, it's been about two years (sighs) of this now. And (laughs) all right. So Wilson Contreras got hit a bunch again or got pitched inside again. And as I noted on Twitter, probably not surprising if you look at, you know, his heat maps and uh, where he can do damage. And it is not up and in. It's one of the few spots you can pitch him and he does not crush you. So, naturally, the Brewers like to pitch him there. And uh, naturally, because his stance just takes him over the plates when the Brewers pitch him up and in, he will be hit by a few more pitches than normal. So, yes, as Cubs fans gleefully pointed out on Saturday, uh, the Brewers have hit Wilson Contreras twice as much as any other team in baseball, uh, including the other division rivals. Uh, Fifteen times, I believe, is the number. The next highest is, I think, think the Cardinals at seven whoever it is is at seven so but I, I i noted this too if you you know look at that list you'll also see the Brewers have allowed the lowest OPS of Wilson Contreras of any division opponent and they do not allow him to even slug 400 against yep. them because they pitch him up and in and he can't do anything with it so that is why that happens. It's not because the Brewers have some vendetta against Wilson Contreras. It's because he's a very good hitter, and that's the only place they can pitch him. With that said, more shenanigans on Saturday. Andrew McCutcheon somehow was the one chosen to get the retaliatory beanball.
1: Yeah, what the hell was that? Longstanding Brewer Andrew McCutcheon.
0: Yes, um, yes. The the reason, obviously, that this has all happened, so let's just throw at him um, and and you know, drag him into this and then have Jason Hayward sprint in from center field for some stupid reason and escalate the situation. So yeah, benches. I guess you could say clear. They they kind of moseyed on out because everybody was too cold to actually fight. Uh, but there was lots of yellings and, and things like that. But uh, yeah, Patreon question. Jay Google, just how insufferable is Contreras when he gets hit? Ryan, <laughs> you want to take this one first?
2: He's completely insufferable. And this is just it is an extension of his overall act and just the way that he, he comports himself out there, which is very like chip on his shoulder. Like um, there's, there's a lot of attitude to his game, which like I'm sure works for him in a lot of positive ways where it's like, you know, to be sort of um, the big man and like the, the whole macho thing. But then when you have this sort of situation he takes it as a personal affront, when people hit him, when, the numbers on this are actually just courtesy of Brad Ford. Like since 2020, the HBP's in the Milwaukee uh, Cubs games, Milwaukee's hit 27 Cubs, the Cubs have hit 26 Brewers. 26. yep. It's it's basically even. They're just these are not like uh, this is not terribly overmatched or anything. And if you go even deeper on that and look at like what the Cubs are compared to what the Brewers are. Last year, the Cubs led the National League with hit batters with 98. The Brewers were sixth with 77. So it's not like the Brewers are out there headhunting people, trying to, to, to hit or hurt anybody. There's nothing to this. It is just that Wilson Contreras is a big crybaby, and anytime that he gets hit now, <laughs> he takes personal affront to it, and it is so tired, and I can't wait. Hopefully, the Cubs are going to trade him and just we won't have to deal with him anymore because his contract is up after this year and i if they were going to extend him i would think they kind of already would have right so <laughs>
1: hopefully yeah
2: so i think he's going to be gone and like just the whole his whole act is just tired and i'm sick of watching it and it is it's obnoxious and yeah like you said the, the brewers have been good against him because they know where to pitch him and frankly yeah. that's part of the whole deal here like if That's you why don't he's like frustrated
0: that, to begin with is because he so can't do what he normally does right the, the, s-
2: the single biggest problem with
1: wilson Contreras being just a jack about this is uh if you're getting drilled in the back repeatedly like if guys are head hunting you hitting you in the shoulder turning you around you can i yes complain all you want charge the mound etc there's no place for that if you're getting hit in the elbow because your elbow's over the plate uh, and you're complaining about that, um, you're you're just handling this completely incorrectly. That's when you smile at the pitcher head to first base, and then smile at him again when you score a run. Like if you want to make that part of your game, then own it as part of your game. Uh, if you're gonna dangle your elbow out there and take hits off of it, and your arms generally, that's that's just what you do. That's annoying. But at least, you know, that's that's something you don't have to be starting up trouble with it. But here's the bigger point, And I think the most important point people don't focus enough on here um, is that uh, the fact that Wilson Contreras continues to get hit as much as he does, uh, just using basic economics is an indicator that he's actually not being hit enough. Um, if he was being hit enough, he wouldn't be getting hit as much because he would change his behavior to not be hanging out over the plate. And so, um, really, until he starts getting drilled more than this, there's not really a reason for any complaints to take care of because the league is not uh, doing its job in brushing him off the inside of the plate. So, um, yeah, Wilson should actually get drilled way more than he does, and uh, he should should consider himself lucky that that hasn't happened yet.
2: Well, the thing is, he's apparently intimidating teams from pitching him inside and doing this to him because they don't want to start a whole thing with him the way the Brewers have.
1: Right. So it's working. That's the thing. Like everybody right. should be bringing it inside on him and hitting him routinely. Right. Everybody should be doing
2: what the Brewers do. Yeah, and this is not to say hitting him on purpose routinely. It's No, it's that is his cold zone. You're jamming him where he can't hit the ball, and he can make adjustments to his game to make that less the case. And we've seen throughout history, we've talked about this before, but I'm sure we talked about it last year. Like, Ricky Weeks was a guy who stood on top of the plate and got hit a lot. And I honestly do not remember there ever being an issue him charging the mound him ever even getting like particularly upset about it because yep. i think he understood perfectly well that this was part of his game this is part of what he's doing he's shutting down the zone and this is allowing him to uh to shrink the zone so that he gets more hittable pitches and he won he was one of the league leaders in hbps basically every year he was with the breweries that was common yep. and also he was drawing a lot of walks because he just didn't have much of a strike zone to throw to And he he accepted that part of this deal was getting hit. Well, Kutreras, even though he's out there with the same elbow pad that Ricky Weeks is wearing, he doesn't accept that this is part of the deal for his behavior. And that's the part that is you know so frustrating and so annoying and really annoying how the Cubs fans act about this is so obnoxious and so you know the their whole thing about how the Brewers have hit the Cubs more than any other team has hit any other team and blah 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 and then ignoring the fact that the Cubs were literally one less than the Brewers (laughs) it was from that 2020 time period is just so obnoxious and i'm not even gonna save the twitter account's name i just that was so so (laughs) Uh, nauseating you you all know who it is yeah you all know who it is Uh, just so nauseating
0: yeah yeah exactly it i mean yeah i wanted to bring up ricky weeks too because that's obvious the obvious comparable situation right both guys you know had You know, the stances where they stood over the plate and arguably inside the strike zone even. And Ricky Weeks got hit a ton, rarely, if ever, said anything and just took his base. If anything, I'm sure Cubs fans were crying that he was sticking his elbow out at pitches just to get on base back then. And and now they're perfectly fine with it. And. Yeah, I think this entire situation is just so annoying because it's escalated to the point where any pitch inside now and you have Wrigley booing the Brewers pitchers like I'm pretty sure Freddie had a slider that nearly hit a guy today, you know, on the back foot and suddenly it became a huge uproar. It thing. And it's just, Are you kidding
2: me with that? Like, well, it's just know. more proof that Cubs fans don't really know the game. So it
1: was a, it was a good uh, it was a really good Cubs fan game, by the way. Um, I think they were a hundred percent on flyouts, uh, okay. by, by which I mean they cheered like it was a home run for one hundred percent of flyouts. Um, they were really good on balls that were clearly outside at the right height and called the ball. I, you know, like they were they were knee high fastballs that were clearly outside. But people Mm -hmm. just booed the heck out of it being called the ball because their angles was like just a uh, virtuoso performance by Cubs fans. Well, you missed it because
2: you weren't watching the broadcast, Paul. But there were some guys right behind home plate, like some some teenage boys who were definitely every single time a Cub kind of thought maybe the strike wasn't called correctly. They were up and screaming and gesticulating wildly and flopping all around. And it was uh, it was a scene, man. Uh, They were really particularly obnoxious. That's fun.
1: Also, uh, we we did have a we, we had a home run not thrown back today, which is also a joy to see when that happens. Um, <laughs> and uh, God bless that soul. I hope he got out okay. Which one was oh, it? Oh boy, was it Willie's? It was not Willie's. Uh, was it who went yard after
2: Willie? Was it Hunter? No, it was Rowdy. And Rowdy. Rowdy. It was ra- It was yeah. Rowdy's.
1: Uh, Rowdy's did not get thrown back. So
2: okay.
0: <laughs> Love to see that too. Yeah. All right. Uh, second Patreon question kind of on this topic and in the Cubs in general. PJ Wessels saying, yes, the Cubs are insufferable, but hit by pitches seem to be up in general. Is this the owner's fault for having shortened spring training <laughs> and not sending pitchers with control? <laughs> Maybe tongue-in-cheek fall,
1: but is there something to this too, I guess? <laughs> um I I I think it's probably just randomness. Uh, there's probably something to people not being as You know, as practiced, Um, for sure, people are going to be wilder than they normally would be. Uh, um, So, yes, that's going to drive hit by pitches up for sure. Um, But mostly it's just randomness (laughs) Uh, is what it is. Annoying to see. But I mean, we think of all the control problems we've seen Brewer pitchers have, if nothing else. Like, Mm -hmm. Jake Cousins couldn't get the ball to home plate for his first two pitches today. Um, And we've seen guys just take some time to get their feel down so far in the cold. Um, and, you know, lots of teams playing in the cold. That's happening, I think, a lot. So um, it'll it'll straighten out in, in a few days here when people get their, their bearings. And the, the hit-by-pitches will go down, I suspect.
2: Yeah, I think it's worth noting, too, that we're talking about the problems for control among starting pitchers. And if there's any group that has been affected by the shortened spring training, it is starting pitchers. Yep. They're the ones that need the longest lead-up. They're the ones that practically, I mean, MLB could shorten spring training and figure out something else to do with these guys early on to get them ramped up. And if they knew exactly what the schedule was going to be, they could have done this more effectively. Yeah. But the, basically the, the reason to have as long a spring training as there is, is to get starting pitchers stretched out. That's why it it, it exists as long as it does practically. So I would say that like seeing it having an effect on starters, is where you would expect to see the effect and we are so I I wouldn't completely discount it. I think there's something to it, but I also don't think it's yeah. like that big a deal.
0: Yeah, I think it'll be something to watch for the next couple of weeks for sure just to see how guys respond uh, not just the brewers in their second or third starts. Right. Um you know, it, this entire situation was w- weird. Yeah. Guys could have been working on their own, but you don't ac- have access to team facilities and stuff during the lockout. You don't have the type of hands-on instruction that maybe you would have to f- kind of get a better feel for things. And, and it, it's just a lot of factors here and we're dealing with small samples and and we're just going to, again, summarize, let's not freak out over one bad start <laughs> for <laughs> just about anybody. Um, you know, this kind of stuff always took time, and and it's one thing where we usually see these kind of outings in, in Arizona, and we go, hey, it's only spring training, don't worry. Um, <laughs> I feel like this is kind of the equivalent of, you know, the Packers getting the doors blown off them in week one, right, because they didn't play anybody in the preseason. So yeah, that's
1: a pretty good comp, actually, I think. I, that Saints game, I really don't think they, they cared about too much, and I mean, as as little as a football team can care. I think that that's how much they cared. <laughs> there you go. Um, so I
0: guess uh, on the flip side to some uh, maybe, you know, questions starting about the offense right away, because, of course, that was the area. Uh, where he had the most question going into the season. So, of course, that's going to be hyper-analyzed. And then you had Christian Jelic, you know, go down s- striking out in a crucial situation on opening day. And all of the sports talk radio is complaining about that for 24 hours. Mm. Uh, and then he goes and, you know, it's a double today. And, and <laughs> it has an OPS over 1,000 in those first three games. And you know, maybe it's it's fine. But, uh, again, the same small sample size Uh, you know disclaimers here as well but I guess what are our early impressions on the offense you know it it's tough to judge too because the Cubs all have a very specific type of pitcher right they basically threw three ground ball guys uh, so tough to get much of anything in terms of you know home runs at least until Sunday uh, when they figure out how to hit the jet stream just right and all (laughs) that stuff but uh, I guess Ryan any takeaways from the weekend offensively, that that you want to address right now?
2: Yeah, just looking at some of the numbers right now, they're currently 17th in MLB in strikeouts uh, through three games. But a good number of the teams ahead of them, let's see, one, two, three, four, <laughs> five, six, seven. Yeah. Uh, seven of the teams ahead of them have played four games and to their three. So that's probably not the greatest indicator <laughs> right there that they're... Uh, that they're going to be a swing and miss team. And we kind of know that that that's going to be part of their game. Um, I think one thing that was concerning specifically on this front is that somebody mentioned that uh, Kyle Hendricks had a very whiff heavy game uh, on Thursday, which is not really his game. That's not no, what Kyle not. Hendricks tends to do. And so the fact that he was whiffing so many brewers was, I think, somewhat concerning. So. We, we can note that, but this is just such a small sample to really draw too much from. And like James said, they were facing a very specific sort of pitcher, guys who like to generate ground balls. And I don't think that plays particularly well with what the Brewers do, especially does not play all that well with their best hitter, Christian Yelich. I'm sure you have nope. more about that, Paul. <laughs>
1: uh, yes, uh, indeed. Although, uh, as James pointed out, he did a pretty good job today, especially taking it the other way. Um, the thing I keep going back to is something you guys pointed out last week, which is um, they're, they're really set up as sort of a platoon team, and they're really set up as a platoon team to, uh, to hit lefties more than they are righties. And there's not that many of them in the division. Um, and it, you can work around that. It's not crucial, but I keep being reminded of the end of um, the only rules it has to work when, when Ben and Sam are running the independent league team. And they're they're doing their denouement at the end about what they did right and what they did wrong. And one of the things they did wrong that I think they kind of felt stupid about but couldn't do anything about is uh, they grabbed a bunch of under the radar left-handed pitchers uh, to join their team that nobody else wanted. But then the league that they play in ended up being ninety percent right-handed. And oh boy, yeah, like (laughs) um, every time I, I think of them, like, are we set up okay? And and just to kind of. Uh, pile on to that a little bit. I do feel like the Brewers are sort of made to have a come from behind offense with it constructed like that. And you kind of saw it today. Like if you throw um, a right-handed starter at them, it's going to be harder for them to score early. I think you, you play sort of your bench to get into the bullpen and uh, play to the strength of the three batter rule and get yourself in some favorable matchups late, come back and it's okay. It's not, it's not stupid necessarily based on what's out there, but then they have their bullpen, and it, you know the Brewers are better when they're playing from ahead, when they can you know eke out a one or two run lead and then just lean on the bullpen to preserve it, and that kind of goes against a come from behind sort of offense. So um, that played out this weekend a little bit, and it, today yeah. they did it. Like today they got into the Cubs bullpen and they they played it very well, and they get, they elevated the ball and came back and won, but they I think you saw the the other half of that in the first two games where they just kind of got shut down. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll make Yelich really quick, but uh, you know, let's. Uh, um, there's, there's this article about the Giants uh, in Baseball Prospectus last week about how they, ele- they elevated their offense last year by basically not platooning guys, but uh, platooning guys against pitch types, like basically uppercut swings against breaking balls and flat swings against fastballs to hammer them and were able to exceed their offensive projections greatly. The Giants were super good last year. Nobody picked them to be that way. And uh, I do kind of wonder if that is sort of now the book on Christian Yelich from the opposite perspective, uh, because he is a very unique uh, power hitter. Even when he was in his MVP seasons, Christian Yelich hit the ball into the ground a lot, uh, way more than you would expect from a prototypical power hitter. So I don't think it's a stretch to to, to see teams as kind of figuring this out and just kind of leaning into his ground ball tendencies, protecting pitchers who might be Yelich prone from facing him or at least throwing certain pitches against him. And um, I do think you kind of see that in his mix um, from the last, especially last year, but the last couple of years from his MVP seasons, there's a lot more uh, fastball usage against him. Um, there's a lot, far fewer severe breaking pitches against him. Um, and I think that matters. So I, I think uh, a lot's gone in Yelich. I still think his knee's bothering him. Um, people shift him now way more than they used to. Uh, uh, just yeah. looking back at his shift stats, it's weird how recently shifts weren't ubiquitous. Uh, like, <laughs> I, I feel like we've been shifting lefties for 10 years. That is not the case. Uh, in, in 2019, he only got shifted about half the time, which is insane. Um, yeah. But uh, the profile on him has changed. And, you know, we we often say with young players, well, it's your, the league has adjusted to you. you got to adjust back, and the has to adjust back. But uh, he just has a weird swing, and I'm not sure that other than rebuilding it from scratch, he can adjust back to what's been being done to him right now.
2: Yeah, we'll see. He is—he's such a weird player. Um, basically, every he's very level. Very odd. <laughs> yeah, he and like you said, this this is a long-standing thing with him where he put the ball under the ground a lot, and it really befuddled a lot of people who analyze these sorts of things professionally. They couldn't figure out you know why this was and why Yelich was this big outlier to begin with. But, you know, looking at it, like, so far early this season, he's played all three games, he has three walks, and he has three strikeouts. Like, that is working. That that part <laughs> yeah. of things is working for him. So if he can – he's going to need to show more power. That uh, Obviously, that yeah. is the thing that we're all <laughs> yeah. waiting for is to see Christian Yelich actually, you know, tank a home run. And I don't think he did it – did he have a home run in spring training? I don't believe he, he I don't think he did. I think he had yeah. none but he also didn't play a whole lot like he they just didn't want to and need to play him a lot so i we we would like to see that to start feeling better about it but yep he is he's just consummately weird in his hitting it <laughs> just is
0: yeah and like again small sample sizes but a couple of times this weekend we saw him just kind of get you know lucky with a ball sneaking through the shift or, or what have you and getting yep. credit for the hit but you know maybe he's due for some babbitt like regression or or, or luck you know and maybe that i don't know it, if he ends up being like a a 290 hitter with a 380 on base because these things are sneaking through maybe that's fine but you still want to see the power from him right so you do I and know. just
1: last season was his worst season offensively um and Uh, Before that, his his percentage of four seam fastballs seen was uh, the the few years before that, 34 in 2017, then 32, 32, 32. Last year it jumps up to 37, which is a pretty significant increase. And he did not hit it. His hard hit percentage tanked on it. Um, uh, it was 67 percent the year before, 45, 45 last year. Um, and I think the strangest thing, though, is his whiffs aren't up on the four-seamer. They're actually down (laughs) a little bit, um, which is really, really weird. So he's making contact with that four-seamer that he's seeing more of. It's just bad contact. Um, So he needs to figure out a way to, I think, start elevating some of the straight pitches. Um, And until he does that, he's going to keep hitting it into the ground over and over again.
0: Yep. Yeah. Uh Paul, you wanna go through your your uh scheme here to fix Christian Yelich if you were allowed to to <laughs> take over the brewers? Because <laughs> We had fun with this too. Have,
1: have I have I not actually done that on the podcast yet? No, I don't I think, think
0: not not the not not the whole locking them in a room thing, which which may constitute
1: <laughs> torture. Uh, yeah. but I think this it, does it violate, violate the it.
2: Geneva Convention. So <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um all right. So uh, I think I've at least mentioned parts of the plan to fix Christian Yelich before, but um, I, I still think a lot of this is just he is afraid to pull the ball. Uh, he could crush it into his knee. You could see it. I've mentioned this before again, many times against opposite side pitchers. And so uh, I think the problem here is that those kinds of things you can't think your way out of. It's at the level of habit. Like if you've ever been severely hurt doing anything, it's hard to get confidence back doing that thing again after your rehab and whatnot. It uh you know people do it people rehab stuff pretty consistently but it can freak you out and when something becomes a habit the only way to break the habit is sort of to unhabit it it's to do the opposite over and over again so yeah what i would literally do with Yelich is i'd put a big old um big old piece of armor on that knee and i would stick him in a cage and i would throw him nothing but inside fastballs for like five hard in a row and just tell him to pull him down the line as hard as he can over and over again and then starting around 500, I would just throw in random change-ups um, and get them out in front of him to actually crush them into his knee, in, into the pad. And I don't want to hurt him. I want him to hit it into the pad to generate the habit that hitting it into the pad doesn't hurt. Um, and, I, like, I, I, with these kinds of things, like Steve Blast disease, um, any kind of mental break, I think you need to do something like that. You need to do something fairly drastic to to train the lizard brain underneath your thinking brain that, oh, this is okay. I don't have to freak out. I don't have to have an adrenaline response. I don't have to, you know, put my human that I'm actually in charge of into uh, fight or flight mode and we can just ignore this problem. It's fixed now. So that's my my fix Yelich the plan. They should t- they should absolutely do it. Um, that'll get you past the knee. And yeah, it would be torture because it's playing with your brain a little bit. But you got to get past the pain. You have to you have to get that part of your brain past the pain. Yeah, a clockwork Yelich or yep. something like that. Yeah, exactly.
0: Okay, the other, I guess, uh, issue with the offense that we've focused on a lot is Keston Hira. Obviously didn't play a ton, uh, but it looks like if if the Saturday, if that lineup is any indication, uh, Hira may be the, I guess, left-handed opposing pitcher first baseman, at least, uh, based on what we saw with the lineup on Saturday. Uh, So he got his first start there. Didn't look terrible in the field, but um, maybe some other, you know, warning signs that, Everybody's still kind of on high alert, uh, notably as Patreon member Chris Richards notes in his question here uh, asking Keston swung through a 92 mile an hour fastball right down the middle to punch out on Saturday. Gave me flashbacks to 2021 that coupled with the high spring strikeout rate makes me wonder if the hoped for improvements that we thought might come with a revamp swing mechanics are just wishful thinking Are any of you sharing my chagrin. So obviously, uh, one start, a few at-bats, probably not enough to draw on. But yeah, I think anytime we see that 92 mile an hour straight down the middle, cut through and missed, Paul, uh, we're going to, you know,
1: cringe a little bit and go, okay, here we go again. Yeah, and we can say things like it's early small sample size, etc., But when you're dealing with a player like Keston Hira, you are coming at this with with background information. Like, we shouldn't just reset our expectations because it's a new season. um, And, yeah, it's only three games. Sure. But it'd be nice to see something in the limited amount of at-bats that he's had so far. Seeing that's very, very disconcerting. It is, I would say, the the quintessential problem with Keston Hira. I mean, the big problem with Keston isn't that he doesn't drill the ball when he touches it sometimes he does it's that he doesn't make enough contact uh problem one with keston is he needs to make more contact and strike out less yeah, you yeah you got to get some pop in the bat but um swinging through mistakes down the middle is is the big issue here and until we see him fix it there's no reason to think he's going to be any better so yeah it's early it's one thing but it's not great and it's a continuation of everything we've seen him do wrong for the last
2: couple of years Yep, one hundred percent. Echo everything Paul said. It, it's one game, literally. We've we've seen one game, but two strikeouts and one walk, and he didn't make any real contact in that time. Uh, nope. It's it's not good. Like we we want to see him do well and want to see this turn around, but I am going to have to be shown that it is happening before I am going to believe it will happen.
0: Yeah, I mean. Of course, we'll see how it plays out the next couple of starts. But Paul, you're absolutely right, right? Like it, it we do have a, a new swing, but we don't have a new player, so to speak. So, you know, and, and as we talked about in the spring too, like early success is going to be such a huge issue or, or a thing to look for for Keston, because if he doesn't see that, then you're kind of dealing with that dejected feeling again, right? And oh, this this stuff's yep. not working either. Where do I go next? Um so, you know, that's why the things like the cutting through the fastballs down the middle, he looked super bummed out about that because he's like, oh, damn, I'm still too late on this. So I, I don't know. It, it may be verging
1: near Travis
0: Shaw too broken to fix territory, but I,
1: I don't know. Uh, also, I hope not. this is just a minor annoying thing about Keston here too. It's worth putting out there is uh, for his career as a big leaguer and in his small sample size of playing time last season. He has reverse platoon splits. Um, So platooning him isn't necessarily that helpful. Maybe it is. I don't know, but it hasn't been so far. Um, So I kind of hate the reverse platoon split profile. Generally speaking, I think it speaks to um, some kind of hard to diagnose weirdness as well. Um, But uh, it's a, this kind of being up and being protected from half the lineup isn't even necessarily in his best interest in terms of of confidence. It'd be nice if he hit lefties, training him to hit lefties is good, but uh, it's not necessarily (laughs) the best way to, to uh, get him going either.
0: Kind of frustrating too, when Rowdy Telez doesn't hit lefties that bad for a lefty hitter either. Yes. So, you know, you're, you're kind of costing yourself on both ends of that platoon.
2: You are. That is correct. Yeah, not right. giving Rowdy run there is going to be a problem if he starts really hitting, mm-hmm. which I think we're all thinking is quite possible maybe and yeah. hoping for. Yeah. I
0: mean he crushed the hell out of that home run on Sunday. <laughs> sure so it. Sure it uh, I mean just yeah, hitting with with confidence and um he kind of seems to be, you know kind of rising up the ranks as one of the clubhouse uh, leaders, too. Uh, it seems like a lot of guys have kind of gelled around him, too. So that's nice to see. Uh may not be the best for Keston here as playing time, but, you know, if, if, if it helps the Brewers out, I, I do think that eventually, you know, whether it's a month or two from now, we're going to see Rowdy starting against more left-handers as well. Uh-huh. All right. Uh I guess maybe speaking of, of Rowdy, our next Patreon question comes from Ted Johnson, not the linebacker, as his profile on Twitter <laughs> says. Uh saying, not the start that we all wanted, but can you guys find some silver linings? Gott and Milner looked okay, are his two. Um, I'm gonna say, you know, rowdy looked pretty solid too, I think from from what I've seen. I, I think I can maybe get behind seeing him get more run at first base uh willie adam has finally crushed a home run he's looked good so far yeah um mccutcheon has has looked good too i think given our reservations with him against right handers he's he's at least making contact and um seems to be like a solid presence there i don't know about batting him cleanup uh but we'll see (laughs) where that lands i guess uh Ryan, let's start with you. Some silver linings from the weekend, at least, so we feel better heading into this next week.
2: Yeah, I would say that Devin Williams and Josh Hader looked absolutely filthy and as expected when we saw him on Sunday. So that was big. And we should note that he sent this in before that game had ended. He did. So, yeah, he hadn't seen that yet. That that looked exactly as good as advertised, and so I felt very good about that, particularly Williams just looked – you know, really, really tough. He was considering how he struggled the Cubs. Yeah.
0: Yeah. How he struggled early last year uh trying to locate the airbender and stuff. That looked on point today. So I I, that looked super impressive.
1: Yep. Paul, how about you? Um I would say McCutcheon, I think, has been sort of as advertised so far. Um his his aggregate numbers don't look good, but I think he said really good at bats. He has um jumped into the clubhouse fray um you know guns blazing already uh, and i think uh, as a yeah. as a platoon um warrior that's probably a good signing um mike Brousseau killed that ball pretty good today i mean yeah. um it's again small sample but as a sort of, you sort of versatile backup it's nice to have somebody who can knock one out of the park and win a game for you so um nothing wrong there um honestly i think rowdy's been um the the shining star so far so um he is a question mark we talked about first bases you know the worst position on the team or you know one of the worst positions on the team and tell as being a big um, question mark but uh he's been anything but so far he's 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 been excellent um so I, I think that's really your big one there so far um other than that i don't know not a ton <laughs> still gotta still gotta get uh the, the big boppers going if they're gonna well i guess adamas has been fine but it'd be nice if yelich did something. I know his numbers are good, but uh, they've been mostly worm burners so far, so I'm not uh, giving too much credence there. Yeah, I was going to say, this question's a lot harder before
0: Sunday, right? When we started to see some home front power from the lineup. Otherwise, it was just a lot of walks and singles and, and frustration and, and not a whole lot good to talk about on the offensive yeah. side. But
1: I really thought Kane was going to get one out today with the wind blowing, mm, you know, yeah. and as a lead back on one as and a just, good contact yeah. hitter. And I think actually, uh, I can't remember if it was him or Wong, but I think it was Kane. Uh, I think he intentionally tried to hit one as high as he could and did. And it just, he got under it a little too much and didn't quite carry, which was kind of fun, but I thought he was going to knock one out today. And, <laughs> um I uh, would have liked to have seen that out of him because
2: it seems like a very cane thing to do. Well, and you may have missed it because it was on the broadcast, but I, you probably didn't actually see this. Uh, he had quite a, a repartee going with the Wrigley fans. Oh, and did well, he? Yeah, That's he fun. did. There was well, well, hopefully it was fun. Uh, I don't know about what was going on out in the outfield, but uh, it seemed like <laughs> around home plate at least it was okay. So who knows about what goes on in the, the Wrigley outfield. He's one
0: too that will always chatter with the fans uh, when he's in the on deck circle. If you yell at low, like he's gonna say stuff back to you and and kind of just have fun with you. Uh, but uh, that's why part of why I love him. And yeah, it would have been fun to see him try to just launch one of the jet stream. It seems like a very like you said, Lorenzo Cain, like veteran kind of screwing around early in the season kind of thing to do. Um, you know that that's great. I love it. All right, uh, next offense question comes from. Well, this is a name change. It's not just Aslatam or Aslatam now. It's Archduke (laughs) Aslatam. So congratulations on uh, your new post. And uh, the question is, uh, what spot in the order should Yelich hit? And why is it not third? By the way, I'm prepared to make the statement every day if Yelich hits like he did today on Sunday. So... Okay, what what's the best batting spot for Christian Yelich right now, Ryan?
2: For right now, it's fine. Him hitting third is fine. I think that if we continue to see this new version of Christian Yelich play out where he is much more of an on-base guy than any sort of power threat, I think then you seriously do talk about moving him up to leadoff spot because in the leadoff spot, that plays pretty well. Uh, but right now, I don't think there's any pressing need to do it because I just don't think that they have, like, a bunch of guys that are better than him that should like push him out of that spot. So three is fine. The lineup is overrated anyway. As long as he has a good on base, you want him towards the top of your, on, your lineup anyway. And yep. whether it's three or one is, you know, like it matters a little bit, but it barely matters.
1: Yeah. I'd, I'd probably make him one. Um, my only slight hesitation with that is, um, one of the I, I just did a big data dump of Yelich stuff this this week and one of the things that he did a lot more when he was having his MVP seasons is swing at the first pitch um and uh, that's declined significantly since those MVP seasons. he's taking yeah. a ton more um and that's in accordance with his walking a ton and you know not crushing as much um I do wonder if they would should maybe try putting the hit, the the swing sign on him a little bit more on the first pitch than they are and see if they can, you know, get him some meatballs on the first pitch. But uh, uh, that's my only kind of hesitation at leadoff. But, you know, if this is going to be Yelich, he's great at getting on base, and he is a basically prototypical leadoff hitter, as currently constituted. So if you're going to move him anywhere, that's the place to move him. Get him on and um, let other people do damage behind him. And I wouldn't be against that at all. That said, Ryan's right, well, lineups are overrated, and the third spot is where you put your worst good hitter anyway. So um, <laughs> that's what they do, and that's what Yelich kind of is.
0: Yeah, I will say, too, uh, we kind of have to shift our brains when it comes to lineup construction, too, with the DH, right? It's it's not like betting lead leadoff would mean he has no RBI or run-producing uh, situations, right? Mm-hmm. Like, especially the way the Brewers have kind of uh, crafted the bottom half of that lineup is, like, there's, a decent chance there's always going to be somebody on base for the leadoff guy. So it's not like you sacrifice that as well, you know? Um, So that again, that effect is minimal too. And and it's not a huge difference, uh, but it's something to consider as well. uh, Especially when you look at the leadoff spot in a quote unquote, like AL style or DH lineup. All right, uh, next question we have comes from Alex Lamers, asking, when do you think the Brewers get above and stay above 500? Do we scuffle up for a <laughs> while, or do you think we will rebound quickly? And then uh quickly responded, I just realized we're playing the Orioles next, which I suppose could affect this a lot. Uh, so, Paul, uh, over 500 by midweek, or wh- what do you think?
1: I actually think they will pull it off against the Orioles, who are not good. And um, I actually... Kind of like the uh, the back end of the brew rotation against the Orioles because the back end of the brew rotation is really good. I think it will be slightly less impacted by um, the nonsense of spring training. Had a little more time to acclimate with the the, the game, you know, the series this week. Um, and uh, I, I think they'll be okay here. I think they'll they'll start to pound some some bad teams, and um, I'm not that worried. I mean, they've actually scored uh, the nine zero game was terrible, and you know, like a typical Brewer game where we see where they can't score that day and Craig punts on it. And they get slaughtered. Yeah, um, early. But they've one, actually, yeah. like, they actually did punch over a decent number of runs for this Brewer team, the other two games. And I think that they will be perfectly fine against the Orioles, putting up enough and just shutting down that lineup. So
2: I think they'll be over 500 by the end of next week. No problem. Yeah, putting up five and four runs in cold, uh, yeah. generally wind blowing in Wrigley conditions, like at least not wind blowing drastically out for the most part. You're doing fine in those games. Like that's not that's not really a problem. It's the, you know getting shut down by what was it, Justin Steele? That's not yeah. ideal. But again, <laughs> that was that was also a game where they were pretty clearly punting fairly early, and just yep. that game, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. So let's just forget about it and never talk also, about it again. In
1: that first game, they put men on base to start the inning like seven times. Like, yeah, they, they, they did. had ten hits they, and four walks that game. Yeah, like, they were doing a fine job threatening. It was just uh, a rough wind day to knock Nico Horner, notwithstanding a rough day to hit the ball out of the park. And uh, yeah, they'll they'll be fine. Their offense has actually not looked as bad as it probably looks on the surface. It's it's been okay. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and I'll say that I think that this team is going to scuffle a little bit back and forth. I think they're going to find their stride as things get a little bit warmer in terms of. You know, not necessarily warm and hot out, but at least just not like playing a bunch of games in the cold. So I'll I'll be interested to see how Corbin Burns does. He's going to make his next start in Baltimore this week. So that'll be that'll be interesting. And then Brandon Woodruff is going to have the uh, home opener on Thursday. So Mm -hmm. hopefully being indoors is going to help him because he sure did look bad and just really having trouble with the command before. But I think I think this team is gonna scuffle a little bit back and forth and then is gonna hit their stride, maybe more as we get towards May.
0: Yeah, I mean that's pretty typical for a current council team too, from what we've seen the last few years, right? They've mm-hmm. kind of kind of just Kept their head above water in April and in May, so to speak, before kind of turning on the Jets in the summer months. So, uh, again, lot, lots of calendar left this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would not worry too much about that. And, you know, again, reminder, the division sucks. Uh, this cup series notwithstanding, it, it, there's going to be a lot of games against really bad teams. I would not worry too much at all right now. Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, Next question comes from Ultimate Vehicle Fight Club, who is asking, what brewers are going to be starting on your fantasy teams for the foreseeable future and why? Bonus points for position players. (laughs) Ryan, you're the big fantasy guy among us. Uh, Any brewers you have in your regular lineup right now?
2: Yeah, uh, the team that I share with Steve Gershinski, Uh we have Willie Adamas as our starting shortstop. Well, actually, that's not true. He starts at a utility spot because our actual starting shortstop is Trey Turner. So he, okay. he gets pushed well, down you're a pretty little. Pretty well bit. set there. But yeah, he we have Adamas, and I have Adamas in another league as well. Um, Willie Adamas is a, a guy that I've had all over the place. Um, mostly, though, I just have all the Brewers pitchers. And this includes like down to the minor leagues. I have Ethan Small on a bunch of teams, and oh wow, <laughs> yeah, like I'm stashing him even on like a redraft. I'm stashing him, so oh wow, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I don't know if you've seen. Ethan Small has been very good so far this season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On
0: opening day for
2: Nashville, right? Only yeah. pitched today again, also. So cool.
0: Yep. Yep. So that's exciting, and yeah. Craig Council mentioned he fully expects Ethan Small to make starts. For the Brewers this mm-hmm. year, at some point, so we'll we'll see when that arrives. But yeah, I, Paul, I guess any any fantasy stars you're seeing? So or, I got, uh, I, got I got
1: outbid for a catcher that I wanted, and uh, so uh, I will at least until tomorrow be starting Pedro Severino. Um, <laughs> oh no! Ooh. Yeah, um, you don't love uh, to see it. No, uh, you don't love to see it. So um, I, w- I will have this fixed tomorrow, but I don't have
2: it fixed <laughs> yet. So. I guess we should probably mention that since it hasn't come up to now. And I'd forgot about it as a, a point of uh, discussion anyway, because it's just been buried. But yeah, Pedro Severino, 80 game suspension. And yeah,
0: because that, that came right after <laughs> we recorded that, mm-hmm. that episode, and we're like, oh, third catcher doesn't matter, mm-hmm. we're fine, and then they went out and, and traded for two catchers. So you're welcome, uh, everybody, so, we yeah. did
2: that, that is our fault. Yeah, because,
0: there you go. Goes. But Victor Carantini
2: <laughs> is a perfectly cromulent backup, like, you're fine with that, it works, it's not a problem. I really
0: like that move, yeah, actually, I mean... He's been a guy, I guess, as like, uh, well, he's killed the Brewers, so at least he can't face the Brewers anymore thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he does have power. It's just, unfortunately, from the wrong side of the platoon that we want him to play. Uh, but, you know, I, I think he he did a decent job, too, framing on Saturday. So we'll see how that goes. But, mm-hmm. yeah, you could definitely do worse at, at backup catcher. So there's that at least. All right. Yeah. Uh, one more Patreon question from Archduke, uh, asking any chance the Brewers are in on Upton. So Justin Upton got DFA'd by the Angels pretty much right before opening day. Uh, they're still going to pay him a, a buttload of money because that contract they signed him to was ridiculous, just like a lot <laughs> of Angels free agent contracts were. Uh, but he's he's old, and that's my thing, and he may be washed. I don't think there's really a spot for him. Uh,
1: Paul thoughts on Justin Upton I think that it's a name people know and that he is washed up like your signing of that was McCutcheon and he's better. Yeah. Even though he's also old and I was um, gonna say <laughs> you know need... maybe
0: hit lefties, but uh Yeah, yeah. But yeah.
1: I I don't think he's got anything left in the tank. If you need another bat, you can do better. Um so yeah. Um I, I don't think they'll be interested. You never know. They they give guys a cup of coffee once in a while, but I don't see a spot and I
2: don't really think they need him. And uh yeah, just they they have they have better better versions of that already. That's exactly what I was gonna say. Uh they just don't need it because they have lots of that already he doesn't fit anything that they need they have lots of you know his skill set if he if he can do anything it's going to be to to hit some home runs off of some lefties and they have that so nope don't see any reason for it which means of course it's going to happen tomorrow
0: (laughs) (laughs) thank you again yeah all right uh, one last Patreon question this week comes from Adam Post. Uh, this seems to, to be good timing, especially after the rainout. out. Uh, how do we go about getting the Cubs to add a retractable roof to Wrigley? Uh, at least it rained for this rain out. So who knows? It did. Uh, But yeah. Paul, uh, what's your idea to get a retractable roof added to Wrigley? <laughs> do we convince the Ricketts it's like a real estate development? Or what are we going to do?
1: <laughs> Yeah, it's easy. Um, you just make the roof clear, and you put seats on top of it so that fans can buy tickets to it and look down, um, <laughs> and thereby increasing the capacity of the stadium a um, hundredfold. So yeah, that's what you do. But you can um, sell
0: ads on top of and underneath the roof. Yeah, but do
1: that. Yeah. I think there are a lot of stadiums that are very, very, very unlikely to ever have a roof put on, but Wrigley's probably the least likely. Because of the across street rooftop revenue, I think to actually put a roof on Wrigley, you would have to put the roof on top of the apartment buildings across the street too. Right. Um, yeah. And this quickly becomes the, a
2: Simpsons dome situation. It,
1: it, yes, you're getting you're getting into a, a dome, which maybe the is Wrigley the Wrigleyville dome, which yeah. is maybe the Ricketts' goal. Um, <laughs> so I guess there's that, but uh, but yeah, just not going to happen. Uh, you're going to have rainouts whether it's sunny or raining for. For the whole, the entire future of Wrigley, till so they move to Arlington Heights with the Bears, <laughs> <laughs> which I guess the is the actual Shumbered the, a- Cubs. the yeah. actual yeah. answer to
2: this question is that, is that the Cubs move to Arlington Heights with the Bears. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm going to say here that we do not want Wrigley Field to have a roof because a roof is a good thing, and a roof makes it much more enjoyable to go to a game, say in. April, when it's windy and nasty out, or when it's like kind of sputtering some rain, or in it's, it's in late September and it's night game or a, a postseason night game, those are objectively awful in those conditions. I've been to Wrigley when it's been windy, and especially when it's dark, it gets cold and nasty. And I wish nothing but misery and pain for Cubs fans. And I so I don't want them to be comfortable, I don't want them to have the comfy environs of of our park i want them to come to our park and go yes this is what it's like to be comfortable for a game on april 10th when it's 30 (laughs) degrees outside this is what that's like we don't get to do that normally though because we have to be back at our stadium which is you know it is what it is but it, it it does not have a roof so i like to uh have them be miserable in their cold windy stadium and then think that that makes them better or tougher or something
0: It's Cubs weather, guys. Mm -hmm. Cubs weather. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, That does it for Patreon questions, but we do have some Twitter questions to get to. We've got McNam003 asking, maybe more of an offseason question, but which prospect that I got really excited for but never became anything has a better chance to contribute this year?
2: Lucas Ursig or Corey Ray? Ryan, your pick on that one. Okay, when you say this year, I think that does actually change it because I think Ursig having now switched over to the mound and trying to give that a go, I think there's some long-term hope that you can unlock he can unlock something there because he hasn't been doing it on a regular basis for years and years and years and years and, years and not having it work. So the fact that he's switched over there give some long term but I don't see them needing it this year. I, I mean if if he has to throw innings in some sort of meaningful situation for the Brewers, um everything has gone wrong. Like we're talking like plane crashes like level of bad. Oh I mean it's <laughs> like it, it would you'd have to have so much go wrong for him to to make it uh to the major leagues this year. But I think if we extend past that I think there, there is something from Ersig potentially down the road in the way that, you know, guys all of a sudden come out of nowhere and become effective uh, pitchers at a, at a late age all the time, especially in the bullpen. It, it just is a normal thing and a normal part of baseball.
1: Yeah, um, I actually agree with Ryan. They're both not good, but one of them changing positions completely gives him a better chance can Corey
0: ray pitch maybe he should try that his <laughs> uh, his swing's broken beyond repair right yeah so. it's not good <laughs> i don't know all right uh that does it for questions this week as always uh patreon.com slash mke tailgate two bucks a month gets you that question priority even if you're not a patron send us a question on twitter at mke tailgate there and we'll try to get to those as well you can also uh, just follow all of us on Twitter. Ryan is at RD Top. Paul is at Badger Noonan. I am at James L. Uh, and also, we should mention, when you become a patron, not only do you get that question priority, you get a shout out here on the podcast. And we've got a few new people joining the fold this uh, week with the start of the new season. Ryan, who do we have signing up as new patrons?
2: Yeah, so we actually have a couple of Eric's. Welcome to Eric Krantz and Eric Winch. Who have both uh, decided to join <laughs> the fold here? So, Eric Squared, welcome, and uh, also Ralph Schulteis has decided to join us, and he also gave us his middle initial, but I'm not going to do that because that might be, uh, you know, like too much personal information. So, yeah. let's <laughs> we'll just go with Ralph Quite Schulteis. Satisfying. Yeah at least it's not a
0: an address like we've gotten <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> mr podcast <laughs> yes exactly all right uh so thanks guys thanks for the two erics and ralph for signing up showing your support uh even if you don't become a patron you can show us uh some support in another way you can log on to your podcast app of choice and leave a five-star review and a rating for this podcast. As a reminder, if you do it on Apple podcasts, Paul will read literally anything you write in the review to give us, uh, five stars. And we've actually got, again, a, a few new reviews in this week. So thanks very much for those, uh, very much appreciated to help us out and kind of climb the, the ranks when you're searching for brewers podcast. But Paul, who do we have this week to,
1: to read out? We got three, five-star reviews this week which is uh fantastic i will say of the best by which i mean the worst one for last uh, as, <laughs> as is tradition so we'll start with uh q to 12 uh creme de la creme of brewers podcasts simply the best brewers podcast out there if you're a brewers fan and not listening to it what are you even doing C- couldn't what agree- are you couldn't, even doing? couldn't agree more very well done uh we also have a five-star review from eric roll um Uh, Just saying the best for podcast and it's not close. So good. I wish it were daily. Um, I wish I could record a podcast daily, but man, that is not happening. We Uh, all have obligations (laughs) and people who may have something to say about that. But uh, but
0: thank uh,
1: you, Eric. Best for last. um, Molitor was a gopher. Uh, (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) We're off to a great start. Love the pod. I look forward to listening weekly. Keep up the good work now. The Minnesota golden gophers are the best team in the big 10 West. And the ax will be staying in Minnesota <laughs> where it rightfully belongs for the foreseeable future. Row the boat. Thanks guys. Oh God. Uh, All right.
0: right. <laughs> well, th- there's that. So th- thank you. Mulliter was a gopher. Uh, <laughs> and uh, again, that proves anything you write down, Paul will read. So yeah, we, we, we had a Penn state fan at some point last year, uh, <laughs> talking about jahan dotson i think and Mm -hmm. he is not one of your favorite nfl draft yeah i just wrote my
1: most overrated prospects column and jahan dotson was on it so yes that's correct
0: (laughs) uh now we got a gopher so i I guess we just need some uh hawkeyes to to give us a five-star review some Illini, you know what whatever man as long as it's a five-star review just just go for it uh i i would love something to to make paul praise brett bielema that'd be great um (laughs) Just a uh, a subtle note to my Illini friends out there, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, again, a uh, five star review. Paul read anything, and of course, uh, even without that that bit of rivalry, we we greatly appreciate it. So uh, thank you for leaving us a review. And uh, while you're there, hit that subscribe subscribe button. Easy enough for me to say, and, and you'll get that push alert every time Ryan posts these. Uh, typically on Monday morning, just in time for your morning commute. So. Uh, hit that button there. You'll never miss an episode in the meantime. uh, Thanks for all the questions guys. Thanks for all the support. Hopefully the brewers win a few more games in the next week, but we will be back to uh, recap it all here on Milwaukee's tailgate next week. Have a good one. Everybody.